Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Tom Alderson, the 1-0 down after three minutes of the podcast. Surely that's the worst thing we're going to see at Ellen Road today, right? And I'm joined today by the shortest two players on the pitch scoring headers of the podcast, Martin Riley. Now surely that's the worst thing we're going to see at Ellen Road today. And finally, I'm joined by the Patrick Bamford's new haircut of the podcast, now that is definitely the worst thing we're going to see at Ellen Road today. It is Dan Holdsworth. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, and I'm doing better than Patrick Bamford's haircut. What was he thinking? That's the question. I saw, when he came, was coming on, because I was, I was sat in the cup, and when he came on, I was like, who's that coming on? Because I just didn't recognise him, because he had his hat on warming up as well. I don't so blame him. He, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I would have just kept the hat on, personally. Yeah. Like, is, it, is it for charity or something? Have we been mean about it? like a nice gesture? Um, or is it for a bet? Could, we Probably could for a bet. Be. It must be, I, I must be a, bet. a bet. Yeah, yeah. it's the only excuse. Well done, Patrick. You know when, yeah. you know when Phil Foden had it for the, the Euros? Yeah. I, I stupidly said in a dr- quite drunken state after the first game that if England win the Euros, I will get the Phil Foden haircut. And it came a bit worryingly close to me having to get the haircut to the point where I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I don't mind Italy, Italy winning after all. But anyway, but otherwise, otherwise, Patrick Bamford's haircut aside, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in good form. Thank you. How are you, good, Tom? Good. I'm the, the well. I'm not all right. Actually. I don't. I don't feel that great. But we we needed numbers for the podcast, so here I am. And it was quite an enjoyable game. So <laughs> I was pretty keen to talk about it. So um, I'm here anyway. I'll, I'd ask you how you are, Martin. But I asked you before the pod, and it shook me to my very core. So I might just ask you what you've had for tea instead. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I, I'm actually fine. But <laughs> I won't go into what I said before the pod. That's no. not podcast. No, talk. don't. <laughs> Maybe in the disc, maybe in the disc. Um, but yeah, I'm good. I had um, soul goujons with like lemon and herb soul goujons with some potato wedges and beans for tea tonight. It was good, very good. And I didn't mind Patrick Ramford's haircut. I'm just going to be the one who's not going to be the dar of the podcast. What's that haircut all about? <laughs> that sort of thing. I'm not going to do that. That looks good. That always there looks was good. lots of grumbling in the north stand where I sit. The old boys are like, "What's he doing? What's it?" He... Yeah, it's true. Like so, you know. I don't think that's just a dar thing. I think that is just a bad haircut. Like, I don't... 
as a fan of the OG Slim Shady, um, I, I I admire it. I admire it. I'd love to know what his wife thinks. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not here today to talk about Patrick Bamford's haircut. We're here today to talk about the three-two victory on Saturday over Middlesbrough at Ellen Road. And there's not really been any news coming out of the game, but I guess the one bit of news that also came up over the weekend was the draw away at Peterborough in the FA Cup, which isn't really a notable tie in itself. But I think the notable thing is the 13th away draw in a row, Dan. Um, I guess it's... We, we tried to work out the odds beforehand, didn't we? What, can you remember what it came to? Was it 8,190 or something? You did the maths, you tell yeah. me. Something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I've, I've, yeah. I've put my, folk, my calculator down, so I haven't got 8, it anymore. 8,192 so to 1. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Pretty, pretty mad, really, isn't it? Yeah. But I, I can't remember. I don't... 13 away... We, we lose so early in the cup. Surely, like, 13 away draws the Rome was head back to, like, 2010 or something. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, can I get away tickets for this game? But probably get a smaller location, were you, at Peterborough? So, no, it's probably the answer. Yeah, might be worth a go. I, think, I remember like the FA, the the West Ham one. In I the went cup. to that. Yeah, I went to that. Yeah, one. that was quite yeah. easy to get tickets to, wasn't it? We got a big allocation, yeah. I think. That's why. But yeah, I mean, not a notable tie, but away again, and we'll probably, we'll probably lose. We'll be on TV and lose, won't we? It's just how these things work. Yeah. Let's move on to the game summary as usual. Then, so both teams approach the game with a four-two-three-one shape. The game started chaotically again, like it did midweek with three goals being scored in the opening seven minutes. Leif put Borrow ahead at three minutes, with Dan James then equalising with a header, yes, a header, in the fifth minute, and then Somerville also scoring with a header in the seventh minute to put Leeds ahead, making the score 2-1. For the rest of the half, Leeds had most of the ball and created the majority of the best chances in that half, with Borrow threatening in some small spells of possession, but largely not threatening the Leeds goal at all. Leeds extended their lead in the 38th minute when Pirro converted a Ruter one penalty to make the score 3-1. Finally, on the cusp of half time, Borrow won a corner and Leif scored his second, rising to beat Byram to a cross from Rodgers, making the score 3-2 going into the second half. In the second half, Middlesbrough started finding more of a foothold in possession, being able to get the ball into our half more often. However, they weren't able to take advantage of these moments and instead it was Leeds who looked more threatening and creating more chances in transition. However, this dynamic was shifted when Jick Steele received a second yellow card in the 63rd minute, leaving Borrow with 10 men for the final 30 minutes. Leeds largely dominated possession for these final 30 minutes, looking the team most likely to score, but despite lots of chances, this didn't happen and the game ended 3-2 to Leeds. Let's get into the game review then. So, Martin, this marks the second game in a row in which we have gone behind early but responded very quickly to go back in the lead. Are you concerned about us conceding so early in these games or are you just glad that we've responded well in both games? I'm definitely concerned that two games in a row now we have gone behind very early in the games. It does seem like there's some concentration issue early in the games because against Swansea it was more of a mistake which caused it and then the one against Borough that was I think maybe just not intense enough defending to stop the opportunity getting to where it did because it wasn't a very high XG chance. Um, it was just powerful effort, which Melier didn't do the best with, in my opinion. So yeah, the, it is a concern that we've done this twice, twice, two games in a row. But I am also very happy that we did respond well in both those times. In the past, when we've conceded early, it usually means that the other team can sit, sits back and we aren't able to get back into the game. And 
I think it helps because the two teams who we went behind to, both Swansea and Borough, are both teams who don't sit back, at least not in the traditional low block sense. They're more like to go back a little bit into a mid block, but not recede totally. So there's that space for us to play into and was able to get back into the game very quickly in both these games. So it is good that this happens. However, if it was to happen against a team who was more comfortable defending in the low block and able to frustrate us more, then it could be a different story and we could end up not being able to get back into the game and then the, the opposition get getting more goals, potentially. So yeah, there's ups and downs with, with it and I hope it doesn't continue in this manner because it would be worrying. I guess the, the flip of that is that maybe Sw- Swansea and Middlesbrough scored those early goals because they came and had to go a bit, whereas like a team that would probably sit in for a mid, um, sit in a low block for 90 minutes would probably not actually get in the position to make those chances, would you say? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. It is potentially that they were teams who, who like to attack more than the average low block championship side, thinking of the likes of... Rotherham and I would say Wednesday but they've had a bit of a change of style recently but yeah that's not anything near what we'll be talking about here um, but yes yeah, the, it would, would be good if we could limit that though try to keep concentrating early in the game because it kind of gives us that little bit of a mountain to climb before we even get going Dan we had a question from Joe Shaw on Twitter and he said that the, the back four are good at this level why have we started conceding so many goals? And I think that's just in general rather than just early. Um, is it a concentration thing or is it a tactical reason in the last couple of games? Um, so just, I've got here tactical, I reckon. Um, I think we're kind of going at teams a lot more with like a higher man-to-man press. And in the case of Borough and to some extent Swansea uh, and Rotherham in that one attack, I think it just, when it breaks down, it, you know, it can really break down. It's kind of reminiscent of the old, Days in the BLs a little bit, or isn't it? You know that when a, when a man-to-man press does break, it can really break. So I guess there's just there's, we've been a little bit unlucky in that like teams have you know put more chances away than than, than the XG that we've conceded. But I think that's also a function of that kind of aggressive man-to-man press that we're seeing. Um, to go back to the previous question, I didn't really get a chance to answer that. I'm I'm a little bit less concerned about that. I think it's just one of those stats quirks. If you know what I mean, it's just two games. It's just two chances that have gone in. I mean, if it becomes a long-term trend, I'm less. I'd, I'd generally be more concerned about it. But for the for the first goal against Borough, we saw quite a similar breakdown that we saw again in the second goal. In that that Rodon charged out at the, of the and, and pressed in the way that Stuart did for the second goal, which we'll discuss later. And it kind of it changed the whole structure of the team. And then they were able to get up the pitch. Now, by the time the goal was scored, Rodham was back in position and then Gray and Melier made small errors and they scored. Um, but I think it's more of a function of the kind of, and it's these, this is how the two questions link. It's more of a function of the way we're pressing at the moment. And if it goes wrong or if the aggressive press goes wrong and we get broken, it's going to lead to kind of bigger chances or we're going to lead to like a game state where we're open and we're scrambling and backpedaling. Um, so I think that's the factor. But I guess my view is that Fark is probably thinking, well, we've got, you know, we've got better weapons than most teams in this division. Well, we have, I think, probably the best forward line in the division. So he's probably just thinking we can go toe to toe with these teams and we'll come out on top. And, and that's proved to be the case, hasn't it? Over the last two games, even though we've been open and left ourselves open at, 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 in moments, it's not really cost us in the end. Yeah, it's been re- really noticeable recently that we've kind of shifted from, because I, th- I think there was a point a couple of weeks ago where we looked like a pretty solid mid blocky team. And it was, and then we just sort of win the ball in the middle of the pitch and break on teams from there, and that was working pretty well. I think that was the, I think that was the last game like that in particular. I can't remember if it was that one or another game around that time that was where we, it was that that stands out. But 
See, I think that I think the Leicester game is the turning point because we kind of went man to man on Leicester, probably for something that the analysts have probably spotted as a good tactical ploy. And it worked; it was great, wasn't it? And I wonder if we just got a bit of confidence from that and then started applying that that approach in a more aggressive way to the Leicester teams, and then we we kind of generate, generating these chances. I mean, it's the results have been great, haven't they, since Leicester? What we had wins and draw, wins and one draw off the top of my head. So you know, Fark could argue, well, it's working, barring a few mad moments. Yeah. It's, it's almost a bit Jesse Marsh, isn't it? That we're like, we're pressing these teams high up to create chances high up the pitch and it's w- working really effectively. I guess you get that in the championship that teams like, I go, Swansea, Middlesbrough are probably perfect examples of these. They're trying to play out of the back and they just haven't got the players that in the Premier League would probably just play out of the press. Or like we, we even saw that Middlesbrough did play out of our pr- press a couple of times with like those less technical players, but more often than not in this league, you'd back a higher press to create a couple of decent chances of the game. So, yeah, it's definitely been a notable shift um, in recent weeks. Um, that actually leads nicely onto our next question, so I'll go go there now. Um, so, Leeds ended up pressing high in this game, showing more man-market elements in our out-of-possession approach, and we ended the game with 61% possession. Um, Martin, do you want to have a chat about our out-of-possession side then? So, how did our plan fare in general? I think largely it did well. I think Borough struggled to get through it quite often. There were the odd moments, and I think especially towards the end of the first half, where they were starting to be able to play out of it that little bit more. But I do think that largely it was a good plan, and we did limit them and stop them from building their play and also generated some chances for us. I believe the penalty in instant came from a part of the pressing moment. So there's that one, and there's a few, few other ones which led to more minor chances, which were The penalty good. was a similar press to the press that we did against Swansea for the third goal, where we won it quite high up, and it's quite a similar kind of pressing move, and we won it in the same kind of area. It led to a goal versus Swansea. In this case, it led to a pen, but it was kind of a similar thing. Sorry, I interrupted you there, mate. But no, no, yeah. I'm a, don't yeah, worry, yeah. mate. That's fine. Um, but yeah, the, it's, it's working well, and we had the same man-marking elements, but I think even more pronounced in this game, if anything. I think in previous games, it had been more individual phases from goal kicks where we were looking to man-mark. But in this game, it seemed to extend further beyond that, and it was in more general play as well. So you you would see um, Strauch and Roden both follow um, Cook. He was the attacking midfielder, and follow him into deeper areas. If he went deeper onto the right-hand side, uh, Roden would pick him up. If he went deeper onto the left side, Strauch would, would pick him up. So they're sort of handing him between the two of them. And then also Strauch was picking up um, Rogers, I believe, who was their uh, right-winger. And so, yeah, they, he was being picked up when he dropped deep as well. So does Borough were trying these different things to get around our high press to give themselves options from further up the pitch to pass the ball to. And they were able to get by it a few times, and I especially liked a few things that Latter Laugh did. I think he was he, he's a, he impressed me in this game, did um, Latter Laugh. I thought he was a very, very, very good length player as well as being showing that he can finish. I think, now, I think it was something which the um, Borough guy said that Latter Laugh was good with link-up play, but his finishing hasn't been great. So i sure they'll be quite pleased with his contributions in this game. It's funny what... It's a funny one. He missed his biggest chance there, didn't he? In the second for by XG, and he scored the two lower ones. But anyway, yeah, I was uh, equally. I was I was impressed by him. I thought he was good. Yeah, he's a good player. Um, but yeah, I think I think largely that the opposition plan is coming together, and we're starting to see more results from it. But with a team like Borough, you're always going to have moments where they do play through it because they've got a good, flexible coach in Eric. 
is a good coach. And his, uh, in this team was a lot lower in level than what ours is. And they also were, were missing some key players in their building phase. They were missing, I think, two centre-backs and their midfielders. And, Hackney, yeah, good young midfielder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, he's a very good player. And he impressed me in, in watching before the game, the games that I watched for the preview. He was very good. And he did a lot of good things for Borough. I do think that Balazer was also good in that element as well. So we've got a number of players who were very comfortable playing with possession style and were able to get through us. So it's the sort of press wasn't going to work 100% against them. Just like it didn't work 100% against Leicester. But it did enough to be able to disrupt them. That's the important thing. And it created chances for us. It doesn't have to be every single time. I think some people were a bit getting a bit uneasy with it because they were playing through it at times. But that's going to happen. Uh, you're not going to have a press which 100% works every, every time. Even with Bielsa, there were moments where it perhaps didn't appear but the opponents. Most of the time it, it did because teams were terrified of us under Bielsa because at that point in the championship, there was a lot less uh, tactical nuance in the league overall. So there was less teams who were trying to play out through through that sort of pressure. So the league at that point panicked, whereas now the political level of the league is a lot higher. So you've got a lot more teams who are willing and able to play through a press like in this way. Still not... Every team is capable of it, and not every team will have the players to be capable of doing it. But yeah, I'm largely I was happy with our out of form. So I'm not sure if Dan has anything to add on this one. So I've got a comment here. It's, it's my first comment. When it didn't work, and see 30 seconds into the game, they broke on us 30 seconds, like before the goal, actually. They had one break. And it was like, it, it reminded me of like a marsh press. We had like five players all drawn around the ball, and they kind of broke through. I think it was Barlaster, actually, who I agree had a good game. He was, a lot of their counters were started by him, were they? And, you know, kind of him. Him, him wriggling out of trouble in the midfield and then releasing that, that good front three of theirs. Um, and, and I kind of thought for the first 20 minutes of the game, the old press, it had its moments and we won the ball, but they were they were able to play, play through it quite often. And again, often through Barlasa breaking free and, and releasing like one of the fullbacks or, or the uh, or the front three. And something happened around 20 minutes. I think we got a bit more aggressive. I think perhaps our back line squeezed up the pitch so therefore there was less space for them to break into so it was almost like we left more space in behind but we stopped their midfield from like uh having that midfield space to break into and then draw our forwards on so I felt like after 20 minutes we got to grips with them a bit better it doesn't mean they didn't have breaks at that point and like you said the Carrick has really coached them really well and the, the you know they played some great stuff throughout for our press and some really good stuff in the in the first half and that continued including right up to the end to get the the, the second goal which we'll talk about in a sec um but I kind of felt like, you know, if you're going to, in terms of, if it was a boxing match, I still think our press was coming out on top on the points, if that makes sense. But they were still having some success in some rounds, if, I, if that's a if that's a reasonable analogy. Um, so, yeah. And then second half, I felt, I kind of disagreed with the, with the statement at the start, actually, the, the match description. I thought our press absolutely suffocated them on the watch back tonight. Watching it back, I was like, we were way more dominant than I remember in the second half, like at the ground, watching it back. And I thought so much of the game was to the right as I lo- as I watched it towards the south stand because we were just pinning them in. And this is true before the red card, obviously particularly after the red card because they were down to 10 men. But I thought that that change had happened before that point. Now, they did have two or three counters in the second half and that one particular dangerous one where they hit the, hit the post that Roden kind of did a good block. But that was it. That's all I remember them having. I think we dominated them second half and I think we physically dominated them and pinned them in and played a more steady possession game. It was more reminiscent of a dominant kind of possession team and pinning pin pin in second half so I kind of that didn't shock me but that was something that stood out and I just I, 
I didn't quite understand what had happened. I think it was probably just the the, the backline squeezing up again and and compressing the the space in midfield. So the likes of Balas and House and and their wingers sometimes came in f- in field to help out, like in a narrow ten type wing, you know type positions, and we kind of suffocated those guys as well and stopped them from getting in that kind of that midfield dominance. I felt so it's probably something around that, just squeezing the middle and stopping them getting free in the middle. I think is what happened, but I don't know for certain. Um, the the, the only other thing I've kind of got to add on that. Is that something I noticed both of the game when rewatches? It wasn't we pressed really well, but like it's like a player had the ball free and then they passed it to another player. We were very good at then marking or like pressing all the players around that player, like to stop their options. So if that kind of helped with like the, the suffocating thing you said, Dan, that if a player had the ball, like they didn't have options, so they, if they could turn out of the press, like or like they was then do the thing, you know, where they like block the passing lanes. Um, which I quite like, but like if they could dribble out of that press, that's what caused problems. But like we were good, I think we were good at like closing down passing options as well, which was quite good to quite good to see. I'm actually going to skip ahead a question here now, um, just because we, you've kind of started talking about it already, Dan. Um, so Martin, I'll come to you on this one. So we didn't begin the second half by conceding so early, but did you feel the start of the second half went better than the first half? In my opinion, it it had. I I felt certain parts of it were, especially for us in possession. I think we were a lot more composed in possession. But I do feel that um, Borough that Borough were able to play through us at times, not to the point of getting to our box and making chances, and um, because we we were good at defending the areas around it, but they were good at escaping from our high press. Um, so that that's it was me who wrote the intro. And that's sort of what I meant about the playing through it at times but they weren't able to get to our box because we were defending so well um when they pass the press other than a few moments um but yeah i, I do think that especially when we were better towards the start, of the start of the second half compared to the start of the first half we were just able to settle into the game a little bit more so it's a mixed bag i think it was a little bit better in possession but a little bit worse out of possession but that was mainly because borough had worked out a few things and were getting players into the right moments to be able to bypass the that first line of the press and get a little bit further up the pitch, but like to anything we further from there, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I actually agreed with your reading of the game, Dan, and I was, cause I was sat in the north stand as well. Like it, it felt in the ground really nervy, and like they were coming at us constantly. Then watching it back, I was just like, it, there wasn't really a lot to be worried about. Um, I, I think they had a they had a good five minutes after halftime where they kind of their energy was up and it dropped. And I just felt like we were starting to get on top of them. And I think by the time the red card come, I think we'd taken control back of the game. Yeah. Pretty much. That's my view. I think I had that view in the game a little bit, but it was like more nervous. But on the watch back, I was like, yeah, we were totally dominant. That was just my view on the watch back. We were totally dominant second half with the exception of, I think I counted three counters, two that didn't really go anywhere. And there was a, there was one where Ampadu lost the ball, didn't he? he? Turned into danger and lost the ball. But again, didn't go anywhere. We swarmed around it and, and killed that straight away. And then there was the one good counter they had where they hit the post, and that was a good counter. On the out of possession stuff then, I'll kind of, before, before, uh, before we move on, the th- one thing I've noticed in the last two games is with the more high press, more man-to-man aspects of press, it can leave Ampadu pretty isolated in quite a lot of situations. Uh, Dan, you're nodding your head, so I'll come to you on this. But is is that a long-term concern or is this something we can do to stop that happening? It is a bit of a concern. I, I, I guess we've just got to get, work out a way of getting more bodies into midfield. So, like, so we were seeing kind of Perot, weren't we, helping him out in that like double pivot at times and Kamara pushing forward and then Perot would go 
And sometimes it occasionally looked like a 4141 with Ampadu on his own almost. It's kind of sometimes, not always. And then I just, I just felt that I, 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 I think the problem was slightly more on Rutter not having his best pressing game or not having a totally consistent pressing game. He actually had some really good pressing moments as well. And sometimes we were playing through and it was kind of dis, it was kind of like destabilizing the whole press. So then Perot and Kamara had to step out a lot. And then these transitional moments, by the time it got to Ampadu, he was on his own. Whereas, you know, had, had Rutter perhaps, or the front line had done their press correctly or the press had worked, it, the, the midfield unit would have been more, more compact. It wouldn't have appeared that way. So I just think it's just kind of, if it breaks down in front of them, everybody has to step up and Ampadu tends to hold and he looks like he's isolated and he is. Um, I felt, again, I felt second half, he didn't appear to be as isolated as often. And and I think, I, I keep saying this, but I think because the back line pushed up, so the fullbacks would have been closer to him, like coming I mean, narrow perhaps, like in the wingers. So it almost felt like we had more of a kind of a box and a, and a, and a, and a shield around that kind of midfield area because of we squeezed the pitch, went in good moments. So that's how I felt it went second half. But yeah, I do think it's a problem. I think when it's not working, we see Amper doing his own scrambling. Yeah. But how did you see it, Martin? I'm I'm generally okay with it. It's a high risk strategy. What, what we're going for with the press, and it's similar in some aspects to the to the way which Bielsa had a pressing. It's obviously not as good because Bielsa's a master at that, at that kind of thing. But it is a high risk, high reward strategy, and it is generating us some good things throughout throughout the games. So I, I feel that it's something that is worth the risk, and especially because Amdu is such a good player for this level. He is generally okay in those moments. Last couple of games, he's been a little bit sh- sh- shakier, but I think that's more due to the amount of games that he's playing than anything, and he really needs a break. But I just don't see where that break is going to come from. Cause in December, back- <laughs> of all places. <laughs> yeah, on Christmas Day, you, you can have a day off on Christmas Day. <laughs> But yeah, it's going to be fun to see if he does get that break or not. But I think largely as a whole, I am okay with it because of how effective the out-of-position side has been. And largely, we have been stopping the opponents from creating a lot of chances. Borough created a bit more than what Quality did. Um, Borough created 1.5 XG in this game, which is about fair. They're a good side and we're going to create these moments. But then, but then Swansea only created 0.3 XG. And Rotherham only 0.7, and that was away. And then by start, a bit shaky one there. Plymouth was nearly even XG wise. They had 1.4, we had 1.7. So yeah, it's, but then you've got the, the Leicester game, which they only had 0.6. So there's a lot of things to like about the out of position side, and it is doing good things for us going forward and get, creating chances and generally limiting the opponents. And it is something which is still relatively new. So I think we will get better with it the more that we do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll largely agree. I think it's like it's, the, it's a risk reward strategy, isn't it? And we've got the best squad around, or second best squad around, or whatever. However, you want to say it's one of the best, you know, in nearly all games apart from Leicester and maybe Southampton, we can have the the better team in terms of the individual player ability. So it's worthwhile. It's a worthwhile gamble, isn't it? From far, go toe to toe. You know, I mean, we, we doubled Borough's XG. It worked. You know, we had for every Borough chance Borough had, we had two or three. So you know. That's not. That's not kind of throw the baby out of the bathwater. I'm being ultra caught. I've been ultra critical here talking about Ampadu the way it was. You know, it's still like, like Martin says. It's completely right. We we were dominant in this game for a good chunk of it, and, and Borough had some really good moments and hurt us. Hence the 1.5 xg. And credit to them for that. They're a good team. Um, but yeah, it still worked. Yeah, the high press will be fine as long as Rutter doesn't go all Rodrigo on us. That's, <laughs> yeah. That'll be fine. It's generally a good presser, Rod- Rutter, isn't it? That's one thing he's good at. But so, and he it, it still has some good pressing moments. He just wasn't quite as consistent as he normally is. And, you know, perhaps, it, perhaps he was tired or something. A lot of games, you know, in a few days. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, th- I think the the thing to watch with the Ampadu stuff is that when Kamara jumps up to that next line, and then it'll be if we've we are man to man in that fa- phase of play, and they can't play out, it'll work brilliantly and we'll create chances that we saw. But yeah, it's that when that goes wrong, that's when we'll see Ampadu isolated, and when you'll see teams cause those problems. But I'm sure, yeah, like you, like you guys both said, we'll see as we get better at better better at it and more comfortable with it, then we'll probably just end up widening that gap between what Middlesbrough's one chance to off two, three good chances and against worse teams as well. So yeah, I'm 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 liking it. I'm very much up for it continuing. Let's talk about Borrow's second goal then, because uh, I think that's the one that's I don't even know if it is on Twitter or not, but I feel like in our group chat we've ch- chatted about it the most, so we'll chat about it now. Um, so, Martin, do you want to sort of break it down for us a bit? So, yeah, the second goal, um, there was a couple of things which were going on with it. And first of all, we was pressing quite high, actually quite late in the half. And for me, that's the biggest thing that's wrong with this. I think there should be some more common sense used in these sort of scenarios and Fark just needs to... just. Back off, lads. Let's back off a little bit. Let's give some space. We don't need to take unnecessary risks at this point in half because everyone knows a get a goal just for half time can be killer. Luckily, this wasn't for us, and we were able to keep things under control. The red card obviously helped, but we'll come on to that. Um, but yeah, I, d- I do think that other than the overall high press, there's a couple of individuals who would have done better in that moment. And first of all, there was Rutter. And stuff up something that Dan mentioned about his outperson side. He had a few moments where he wasn't as good as normal. And he what he was pushing first of all onto the goalkeeper when I don't think he needed to. Normally we don't press the goalkeeper. Normally we stay away from them, wait for them to play the ball and then press wherever they pass to. But he closed down the goalkeeper and then after he finished closing down the goalkeeper, the goalkeeper passed around him to the side. And then he didn't continue to press, he just sort of stayed around that same same area. And when, when what he should have been doing was dropping back deep to pick up the man who left behind when he went to press the goalkeeper and because he did that when the ball was played to Balaza Trauk was, play, was following Crook into deeper areas and he noticed that Balaza was unmarked so he pushed forward even further to make sure that he wasn't able to get the ball forward but Balaza is a very far shortest player and was able to turn him and lost space behind him so yeah a few individuals who were who did them better in, in that moment um, and also just the team, I think, is an overriding thing for me, is that we shouldn't have been pressing that high that late in the game. Um, just sit back a bit. What Borough wanted from us in that moment was for that exact thing to happen, to create those artificial transitions, to have space to play into, so we can create danger. That's exactly what happened. So they went for a corner, and then Byron missed his header for the thing, and then he should, he should have done a little bit better. He wasn't tight enough to... Player he probably meant to be marking, but those things happen. And luckily, it didn't end up costing us bigger than the goal. But yeah, at least do better in those moments, in my opinion. Love the breakdown, thank you, Martin. Couldn't have done it better myself. Anything to add, Dan? No, I think I think that was a, a perfect summary. I'd agree with Martin. I think pretty much on the build-up. Uh, and I mean, my I've got here biggest issue is Byron not winning his header. He wins his header, and we're not really talking about it. We just say, no, that wasn't a great a great pressing moment, was it? But that's it. Um, you know, managers always talk about you've got to win your duels, you've got to win your this kind of stuff. And I think Martin, I think it was you that flagged up that Borough were good at set pieces, but good at good at attacking set pieces, but bad at defending set pieces in the preview. I can't remember. Was it you, Martin? It was, anyway, yeah, it was a similar. Yeah, basically they weren't giving up a lot of XG, 
but they were conceding a lot of goals in their set piece and there was pretty much mid-table for set piece chances but yeah all right okay fair enough i mean there'd been a couple where they caused us a little trouble yeah so i just think we probably weren't too weren't weren't set up properly i mean fark talked about he'd, he'd moved byram there hadn't he to the front post when previously he'd used perot there i think um so that change perhaps didn't work out so maybe that'll get reviewed um but yeah, I think your, your summary of the build-up was, was tip-top. It's pretty much exactly word for word how I would have said it. Let's move on to the second half then. So, Dan, I think you've kind of talked about this a bit in some of your answers already, but how did the red card affect the way that the second half played out? I just think it kind of... I, well, it's funny, in the, like, <laughs> in the ground, I was like, oh, the game died, and Lee's just killed the game and just passed it around side to side, and I was like, oh, they're, not, they're showing no ambition. But again, on the watch back, I'm like, oh, we had quite a few chances, didn't we, after that? Like, even not necessarily the chances that generated shots, but like near misses, crosses, flashes, balls flashing across the ball, uh, the box, that kind of stuff. So again, it's like like the emotion of being there and being stressed about it on all that kind of stuff, like a normal fan massively colours how you see the game and, and watching back it was like pretty dominant and you know it was just like watching a, a really good like possession team like picking apart not 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 expertly not perfectly but picking apart and, and controlling a 10-man team like I say the only big moment of, of, of panic was that time they hit the post and credit to Borough that was a really good um, counter-attack so but I felt that that kind of dominance and that kind of general game shape had started to take hold before the red I'd kind of no, you know, on the watch back, I felt we'd start to pin them in. We were kind of pinning them down. We, we were winning high more balls. We were kind of controlling possession way more than we were first half. It felt like a less transitional game because we'd dominated and stopped the transitions or we'd learned how to stop them. Um, so the red was just kind of, you know, it was just taking that control from nine to 10, basically. You know, it wasn't a drastic change. I, I guess it stopped them making big tactical ch- switches that could take the game back away from us, perhaps. That's, that's, that's the unknown, isn't it? But, in terms of how it played out. I don't think it made a massive difference. just made it easy for us. Yeah, I kind of saw it the same way that we were, on the rewatch anyway, I saw it the same way in the ground as well, um, that, yeah, it just allowed us to control the game a bit more with that one-man dominance because, yeah, well, in person, it definitely felt, it actually felt like they had the same number of chances in the ground after the t- after 10 men, but they definitely didn't. Um, but yeah, watching back, it was just, made our lives a bit easier and like I hadn't considered that but yeah it didn't allow character to do anything in the second half and I've, I can't remember who was one of you guys on the preview that said they were the, like the best team or was it, it might have been the guy it's, you interviewed Dan yeah it was Johnny he said yeah. that the, the the points in the second half the like the lower league in first half top of the league yeah. or second in league second half yeah type thing yeah something like that yeah so it kind of we might maybe like dodge the bullet a bit with them not being able to do those little changes that they do so it, it definitely was in our favour, probably more so than if they'd have sat back and we'd have dominated the ball in that way. Martin, you you got anything to add on this one? No, I think Dan got it spot on there. Um, we were starting to get control. There were a few little moments, like I mentioned earlier, where they were getting by our press, but they weren't creating any chances from those moments. So it's you know it just basically made our lives easier. Like Dan's already said, it just made it that easier for us to control the game how we wanted it. And we were even able to find some moments in transition when they pushed themselves forward after that, after the red card. So yeah, there's a few moments where someone will brought forward in space, and it's, it's, what, I think there's one slightly overhit pass to Rutter. I think what was it the other way around? Was it was it Rutter Sumville? I forget. But yeah, there's definitely one overhit pass at one point, which would have definitely led to a one v one opportunity. And a few other little moments like that. So yeah, we definitely had opportunities and probably could have made more of them than what we did. And especially the late chance, I think, from the corner, which um, Pro had 
and the one of Ruter will say that Ruter didn't have a great game finishing wise, but she scored that goal in the last game, so I'm still on a high from that to be honest. So I'm okay. <laughs> I think I think both you guys said in uh, before this pod, uh, just moving on, that you wanted to talk about Borrow's out of possession approach because you were quite impressed with them before the game and I guess in parts of the game as well. So, Martin, how how what did you make of their out of possession approach? Um, I, I don't think it was as effective as it would have been. I, I don't think it really did a lot to stop us doing what we we wanted to do. Um, we were able to get the ball nearly at will. Um, there wasn't many times when they caught us like mid transition. Like I think catches around the halfway line that often, other than when mistakes were made, like Umpadu when he he was wasn't really paying attention to, to what was going on around him, and, he, and the ball was he was robbed of the ball. But there wasn't really an intense press going on in those sort of moments. And I think largely Borough could have done a bit more to try to interrupt our play. And especially since we've shown that we can struggle against a good high press. There are a few teams who have what was under the flush when it comes to high pressing. And I'm a, bit, a little bit surprised that Carrie didn't try to let us a little bit more than what he did. Um, I understand it's at Ellen Road and we're in good form, but to give us control of the ball, it's kind of not the thing he wants to be doing. And that sort of played out. We were able to create more and they didn't do too much to prevent that other than in certain individual moments. Dan, anything you want to add here? Yeah, I've got the I've got a kind of a note here that they were kind of pressing in a reasonably compact four four two, and I noticed one thing I noticed was there um, they would have two players, so it would be it would be, be latte laugh is that how we say it? anyway him plus a winger, and then the other winger would took across and make it like a four four two press, and they would kind of almost stand directly in front of our centre back, stopping Rodon and Stroop driving into midfield. I mean they did occasionally, but I mean the the idea was for them just to kind of hold position and force us to play down the wings, but. That was fine. We were playing down the wings and then getting the back back in field, like up, up pitch. So I can see what they were doing, but it didn't. It wasn't that effective. It just really stopped Rodon from doing his. You know, Rodon likes to go on those big runs, doesn't he? Sometimes I don't think he did quite as many of them as he normally does, and I don't think Stroik carried it quite as much as he normally does. Um, so that's what they're doing. But yeah, I was like Martin. I wasn't like like what press, if that makes sense. You know, it was just kind of a mid block. Yeah, um, and I was expecting more from that, that respect from Borough. Borough's like good play was all kind of on the ball, wasn't it? Like playing through our press and, and, and building from the back and drawing us in and moving the ball excellently. You know, they, they moved the ball excellently. I don't think they created anything from like a high turnover that I can remember. So yeah, slightly disappointing. And I think, I know just from catching bits on Twitter from Borough fans and what have you and stuff and tactical Borough, you know, they're, they're really frustrated with the defence and how they kind of do defend and it's particularly away from home. So I can see that. I think they were quite open at times. I thought we... You know, we, we had a lot of joy and we could have probably made more of our opportunities to score, really, and, and perhaps even generate more XG. They were quite an open team. I don't want to sit on this for too long because it's like we'll then just talk about Middlesbrough, but do you think they showed us too much respect in the fact that they maybe like they didn't go for as pressy as they perhaps would have done in other games? I'm not sure they just have the people for it. I don't know if. I, I, I need to watch them more. I'm not sure they had the possession, you know, the people for the job, or perhaps it's just not something Carrick knows how to coach. You know, maybe he's just a really good in-possession coach. We don't know yet. It's early days, isn't it, with Carrick? He's quite, you know, new to his career and stuff. So it's, it's one to look out for. Perhaps it'll be interesting to see what they do at the Riverside and the return fixture, you know, with their fans. Maybe they will come at us more in that respect and, and be more aggressive in the press. So let's see, see if they can do it in that, in that, in that kind of env- environment. Let's uh, finish by talking about some players then. So negatives first. Martin, who who do you think struggled in this game? I think in the first half, uh, Strauch had didn't have a... Great performance. Um, he was 
he wasn't hitting his passes the same way that he has been doing for, for the rest of the season. And it was a little bit disappointing. But I think in the second half, he, he got better. And so it was only like a one and a half thing with, with Strauch. Um, he was the main one. And we've already covered that Rotaire didn't have a great game, um, both in possession and out of possession. Um, so he had some some good moments where he won the penalty and some good pressing moments as well where he won the ball. And some good interplay here and there. But when it comes to scoring goals, he wasn't that great at that. And I've mentioned a few other moments of which weren't as great. So th- those were the main two for me. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if anyone else picked up, up anyone more. Maybe Ampadu, possibly. I I will add on Strauch. He was I noticed a couple of times in the game like he was in possession. He kind of let the ball get away from him a bit, or like over committed. There was one where he's like the ball got away from him. So then his response to that was to then dribble up the pitch, and then he got caught in possession higher up the pitch than he would have done, which just like compounded the error and made it even worse. So yeah, it was like. I think that was yeah more so in the first first half, Martin, like you said. But yeah, probably probably his worst game I've seen in possession for for a while. But that was not not as bad in the second half. Um, but yeah, it was was definitely noticeable. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The... Only other player that, and it's maybe maybe a bit of a harsh one, but I think the discussion has been worth being had. I saw a tweet just before we started podding about leaders' expected goals being like one of the best in the league, and then like Melier's save percentage. So I think it's quite a good time to talk about it. But Dan, what what I guess the first goal you could perhaps say that Melier should have done better. But what did you think about him in this game, and then perhaps generally as well? I do put him and Gray sort of jointly at fault for the first goal. I think he could have done better. Uh, um, I mean, I don't, I don't generally subscribe to the keeper shouldn't get beat at the near post. I mean, that's that's bunkum for like idiots. Like a good shot's a good shot, near post to far, sh- far, far post. But I don't think it was that good a shot that he couldn't have got something towards it, something to it, and maybe you know it might have been too powerful. He might have got a hand to it, and it would have gone in anyway. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit in the the jury's out on Melier camp. I'm not completely nutly like anti him like some folks are. Um, is still a young keeper. He's still coming back from the horror season last season, and he's, he showed improvements this year. And I think he's so important to our like build-up game, isn't he? Because he's great on the ball, isn't he? He's like receiving the ball, doing the whole kind of you know wait and drawing opposition on. So he's kind of important to the system. Um, so we, you know we shouldn't rush to replace him. But that have you know for every save at Leicester he made, which was a great save, there's a couple of you thinking mm, you could have done better there, and that's probably not a good enough ratio at the moment now. Keepers are funny and they're really hard to judge. Like it's a really hard thing to judge goalkeeping, and uh, and I wouldn't re- 
you know, I wouldn't claim to be an expert. And and how often do you see young keepers just all of a sudden the penny drops and, and, and come very good all of a sudden the season later? It's, it's it's one of those weird things, isn't it? So I wouldn't, you know, throw the baby out of the bathwater and say we should absolutely get rid of Melier. But I do think it's a discussion for the summer when we've got a full season under our belts. That's where I'm, I'm with Melier. I'm the same, yeah. I think that first goal, it, it felt like he collapsed on it. And so, like, he went down, the ball went up, and he was like, I, it just seemed, I, I don't, again, I don't know anything about goalkeeping, but it just seemed a really odd way to approach that save. Um, I'm also in the camp that we should judge it in the summer, because this season is still quite young, weirdly. Um, that he's good, yeah, coming off that season last year, if he if he shows it, like the same sort of form over a season, I would say that's two seasons now of one of really bad and one of okay. Ord- yeah, ordinary is the best better way of putting it. And I would say that's that would probably be enough for me to say, well maybe you do try and look at getting an improvement if you can. Um but yeah, it's it's a hard one to judge. Uh Martin, have you got anything else you want to say on Melier? Yeah, for the first follow on the goal, I've I've already mentioned that I thought that he could he could have done a little bit better in this one. And it isn't often that I agree I, I agree with those sort of things. Usually I give a little bit more credit, but I just felt with this one that he could have just like you said, he just sort of didn't stretch his arm out properly, sort of collapsed rather than I think maybe was he, he was expecting the shot to go low and it instead went high, so it sort of wrong footed him. But it's yeah, it wasn't a great effort. We've seen him make saves like that before, which are very good and he's capable of them. We know that he is capable of saving some really good shots. And most recently against Leicester, he saved us the three points there. So he definitely has those moments in him where he can do it. And we're starting to see a few of those coming out and we very, very rarely saw them last season. I think maybe last season we had maybe one or two. I can't think of too many like individual saves which were really, really, really top draw. Whereas this season already, not even halfway into the season, we've had two or three good moments. So I think there's a curve and I think he's on his way upwards, in my opinion, with a few little bumps on that road. But he's not doing the worst in, in the league. There is... So we're farming a lot worse than what he is, let's put it that way. At least when it comes to post-shot XG, um, he's sitting at 24th in the league out of the 36 goalkeepers that have been used this season. So it's minus 1.8. So that means two goals have been let in, which shouldn't have nearly. And the worst in the league is Southampton. Mizunu has minus five. So he's letting more than five, well, five goals exactly, more than what he should have done by what the person did with the shots themselves. And then at the other end, you've got Ipswich's keeper, Ladke, who has plus five. So it's it's all over the place in the championship, and it's a very unpredictable league. Post-shot um, XG numbers are like probably the most noisy numbers you're going to get as well, yeah, aren't they? Like, they are. They're, they're very horrendous. They're very difficult to judge, and I don't like save percentage either. I don't think that really tells the full story either, um, because if, if one keeper's been facing a lot more XG, and high XG chances than another one, and could have a 70% save save percentage because of the few more high XG ones that yeah. I'm probably not explaining myself very well, but... No, I get what I, you're saying, Martin. It's making, yeah. it's making sense. Football's a low-scoring yeah. game, isn't it? Whereas the number of saves a keeper has to make varies more than the number of goals, essentially. So a busy keeper playing for a low-block team is going to have a better save percentage than a keeper who might have to make three big saves and you know perhaps let, lets one in. I'm with you, and I think that the, these. I think I think the goalkeeper for us does have a, a, a tough job because when there is chances given away, they, they generally can be quite big ones. 
Um, not, yeah, because we had a similar thing under Bielsa where we didn't have that many shots being conceded, but the ones which were being conceded were high quality. And we were getting unlucky that the players were making better of them than what they should have done. But yeah, so it's one of those things which I think it should, I'm hoping it plays out over the course of the season and the team's form improves Melier and gets his confidence back. So it's going to take a lot. He conceded a lot of goals last season, let's be real, and the season before that. So he's, he's coming off a rough period for a goalkeeper. So I'm, I'm hoping that as the season progresses, he'll continue to progress. Um, but yeah. I like the kid, so I'd say kid is he's taller than me. He's probably taller than Taldo, I think. I think he might be taller than me. He's got a deeper voice than all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, I, I do hope he does come good because he's one of my favourites, and I would, would like him to come good. I'm definitely rooting for him. Yeah, like you, I like him. I hope it works, and I think stylistically he's the right keeper for this team because, like you say, on the ball he's he's really good. He's been good on the ball this year. I've really been happy. I think his distribution's like stepped up a little bit we're not seeing those balls got to play so often you know the kind of balls that are pinged to the halfway line we're not doing so much of it but so and I think you know he's really really good at the stuff that winds up all the Dars at Allen Road like stepping on the ball and holding that's a waiting. reason to keep him if that, anything well but the thing is it works as a, as a tactic and it, it like and he's dead good at it and his, his, his like ability to receive the ball and his timing of the release is tip top like as good as anybody in the division probably Premier League level on the ball not quite Premier League level saving shots just yet but Let's see, if, let's see if he comes around over a season. Let's hope so. I would like stylistic, and I'm not saying this This is going to sound like a mad comparison, but if you think about someone like Edison at City, um, he is always underperforming his post-shot XG numbers because of the nature of City play. He, if City mess up, they're getting a one-on-one against them, aren't they? Um, I've actually just looked at his numbers for this season. Edison's minus 2.6 for the season, but he's so important to the way that they build up. Then they're, they're not going to consider replacing him, are they? So, and I'm not saying we're like City and Melier is like Edison, but it's a, it's a similar situation where what he gives to our possession can offset what he does not so well with his saves sometimes. But it, it's, I'm going to please John McKenzie, the missing John Stones. That's what that's what's going down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's right. Anyway, that's, this is not Man City so, podcast. Let's move on. <laughs> so we've just you've just said John Stones is what makes Man City tick, and we've Basically. just spent a long time saying that Melier. Might be all right, might not be all right. This Darren Driver just smashed his head through a wall somewhere <laughs> in Beeston. Sorry, and Darren. Also, and we've also said that, that Melier is a good Edison, obviously. That was exactly word for word what Tim Allison <laughs> said. Yeah, yeah. So if if Darren's still alive now, then I'm, I hope he listens to the rest of the pod rather than yeah. just turning it off. <laughs> <laughs> um, I kind of cut you both off on saying players that struggled in this game. Is anyone who want to point out anyone else that struggled particularly or should we move on to the positives I want to defend Ampadu actually I thought Ampadu was fine I had a bit of a discussion on Twitter about this the other day and I came away from the ground thinking he was fine with the exception of that one moment where he got dispossessed and yeah on the watch back I thought yeah he was a little bit swamped occasionally in the first half but I thought he kind of he kept his head above water if you like and then second half I thought he was pretty dominant actually um, like when his duels like I say just that one error so I was more than happy with Ampadu I don't I don't get the I feel like the fan base are cooling on him a little bit at the moment and I don't get it. I think he's fine. I'm staying loyal to my amps. That's what it is. Yeah, I thought the same after the game. I, I didn't think he particularly struggled. I think the only times he struggled was when the team kind of left him to struggle, like we've, we talked about in the possession side, so or the out-of-possession side. That's not on him, is it, really? That's just, you know. No. Let's talk about uh, players that did well in the game to finish then. So I think there's an, a really, really obvious one that someone 
that we want to talk about. So does anyone want to kick off on this one? Um, Mark, I don't mind. Um, the player who I felt shined the most was Archie Gray. I, I felt he was fantastic in this game. Probably the best game that he's had this season. Um, just, just so many times. Other than, obviously, he got off to a bad start in this game. And the goal was scored. And he wasn't as intense with his defending as he could have been. So a lot of players would take that to heart. I think, oh, shit, early in the game, I've just done that. And then it would snowball. But not Archie. I mean, the first thirty minutes, I counted at least four times where he turns smoothly out of out of pressure and just made the much older player who was marking him look a fool. I'm not surprised that that Bangura had a go at him at one point because he was giving him hell. <laughs> he can't do that. It's like he's trying to assault a child. Like he's, exactly. He's, well done. He's, he's thirteen. He's a minor. <laughs> but yeah, the, he was he was just fantastic in this game. I can see I can see why. Did he win the player of the match on the stand vote? I think so. I don't know. I think I think I saw I that tweet. Is. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm not surprised. He was he was great. Um, not just the assist was okay. <laughs> That's not what I'm I'm giving him the, the credit for, and why I liked why I liked him so much. It was just the rest of the things. He's the past few games. He's been making himself more available to more dangerous things, and not playing as safe as often. I think that's been one criticism of him by some fans that he's been, he played it safe too often but for me I think that was potentially something which Fark had told him that's, well he was still early in the game especially when he was first starting playing at, at right back for us Let's keep it simple play it on forward when, when you get the chance don't take too many risks but I think in the past few games he's been making more risks and I think maybe that's Fark encouraging him to get further forward I've been noticing a lot more runs both inside uh, so making the underlapping runs and the overlapping runs he's been doing a lot more stuff than what he has been doing and I'm very happy to see it so just yes overall Archie really impressed me the other one who impressed me was um, Joe Roden so I felt like he had a fantastic game um, both in and out of possession he didn't really put a foot wrong he played one pass I think he had something like 99 point something pass completion that's ridiculous <laughs> really was not like they did really too much to intervene with that, but yeah, those were the two for me who stood out. So you two have got someone different as well, though. To be honest, I haven't got anyone different to that. Um, all I will say on Gray is that I think that I think you talk about those underlapping runs and the over, even the overlapping runs as well. That that combination of him and James on the right wing is actually starting to be a really nice pair. Um, but so yeah, I'm I'm hoping we can just stick with that for a while and it just continue working as it is. It was it was really noticeable when Middlesbrough went down to ten men and they were sort of in a lower block that they were leaving Gray as the free man on the wing um, because we were seen to be like we were quite left side dominant when they were they were down to ten men and it was frustrating that we weren't like giving the Gray the ball in space because I think he would have just been able to make chances quite uh, quite well I think it was that was my only annoyance when we when Middlesbrough went down to ten men uh, but yeah I, I, there isn't really much I can say on Gray that's not been said by people elsewhere or by yourself Martin so I will let you have a go on this question Dan I mean I would, I would give the same answer so the only other one worth note is um, I don't think Somerville had necessarily his best best game but this certainly felt that way coming away from the ground but like, again on watch back he was way better than I remember and like even if he his didn't have his standards are so high now that you can think that's a bad game for some of them. Yeah, like, but even when I watched back, game, but, yeah. like he was involved in so much good stuff and had an assist and like and scored a goal, a headed goal. <laughs> but so like so even like I think some of them are so so good now that yeah, he's just off it and still way too good for the championship. Like 
So yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, just echo the kind of road on the Nachi Gray stuff, like lovely. On, on the on the actually, on the fullback thing. Sorry, I'm jumping around here a little bit. On the fullback thing, we're not quite seeing the like one fullback tucking in and one going high as much, are we? We've seen it kind of more more symmetrical, or one will go and the other one stays. It's kind of feels like they're both getting an opportunity to be the high fullback or not. Not that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a, it's like a seesaw, isn't it? Kind of thing. One goes, one stays, and sometimes they both go. Depends on on the game state. So yeah. That kind of classic fark, you know, one fullback high and the and the other one um, holding position isn't really happening quite as much. I guess that bodes well for when Spence comes in because we were a bit concerned about what if if and when Spence comes in because we were a bit worried about how that would fit in. And I guess the way we've played in recent games is probably suit him a bit more naturally. Yeah, would you say? I'd say so. Yeah, and I think he's Spence is quite a good running in field. I think when we looked at him in France last year, someone said he did a lot of kind of inverted runs. Whereas at Forest he was very much an outside fullback, but I think he's kind of got more to his game than that, just being a you know a bombing down the wing fullback. So yeah, I think it'd be fine. The, the only issue with Spence coming back in is if you, how do we play Spence and Gray and Kamara and Ampadu? Because I like them all, I want them all to play. <laughs> but, yeah, me too. It's a good problem. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's a lovely problem to have. I will leave it there then uh, for the Middlesbrough game, and I will now plug the Patreon. Otherwise, I'll have to make up fake death threats and send them to myself. So. Throughout the season, we've been putting out bonus content via our Patreon. Patreon is a media platform, for those that don't know, in which you can show support to creators you enjoy and receive bonus content in return. And on Patreon, we will put out Patreon-only podcasts and analysis articles and videos that our patrons um, can enjoy. And they also get all of our podcasts ad-free, plus early access to the preview pods that we put out. And we use these funds to pay for opposition fans' interviews, um, such as the one we had for the Borough game. And I'm sure you guys would agree. I think the, the quality of opposition fans we've had on this season has been really high. And it's not only does it, I think it gives us a better preview of the game, but it just, it makes like our ability to understand what those teams do and what Leeds might do much better. So it's, it's something we're very keen to carry on doing. Um, so if this is some, if you want to access the content we've got on our Patreon, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash ASAW Patreon. So that's everything for tonight. Uh, we, well, you guys are going to record the preview of the Blackburn game tomorrow. So I think that'll be out late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning uh, for our Patreon, uh, for our patrons. We'll also, I believe we'll try for a spaces again, a Twitter spaces on Saturday morning before the Blackburn game, if we can get a couple of guys to do that so keep an eye out for that one but for now I will say thank you to Martin thank you too Tom thank you Dan cheers Tom it's been a pleasure and thank you everyone for listening bye deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.